Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Twelve-year-old Jacob DeWitt suffers deeply at the hands of his resentful stepfather. In the midst of his family chaos, he's shipped off to boarding school. Years later, when the school expels him, 16-year-old Jacob believes he can't go back home. Alone in the streets of Pittsburgh, Jacob lies about his age and assumes a new identity. Intelligent and ambitious, he soon gets recruited by the city's crime organization. Yearning for acceptance, Jacob embraces his new family and street life. He grows up fast. It doesn't take long for the big boss to discover Jacob's talents. Despite his rising status, Jacob yearns for righteousness the streets can't provide. To fill the void, he attends a local university and uses his gifted knowledge about the Bible to encourage his crew. Word of mouth spreads and miraculous things happen to people he helps. Unfortunately, Jacob discovers that church and crime are an unholy union. Alternating between the fictional town of Edgeboro, North Carolina in 1976 and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the early 1980s, Jacob must choose between leaving the street family that embraced him and seeking a legitimate life with a family that disowned him. 
Pamela Hartvines, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Wow. Well, I'm so excited, you know, <laughs> about this <laughs> this book and this idea and this concept and this story. This this seems so intriguing. Um, well, thank we just you. gave you our audience a small taste of it, a small taste. But um, just tell us a little bit about how this all came about for you and um, what brought this whole story together. Well, it's uh, it goes quite a ways back. Um, I I was in college or just about to graduate from college, and I I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, so I was still in my immediate hometown area. So I grew up about 30 minutes or so outside of the city, and I went home to visit my my parents, of course, and I remember my mother telling me a story uh, that involved my home church. There was a a new minister, um, and he was said to have been doing some unsavory things around the church. And as it turns out, uh, the church members found out that he did not have any of his uh, accreditations. Uh, He wasn't properly educated. He wasn't ordained as a minister. So it was just amazing that this would happen. And um, the church, the community tried to oust him. But he he didn't agree with that, and he didn't want to go. So he broke into the church, and this is my hometown church where I was baptized. So he broke in in the middle of the night and vandalized the church, uh, broke the stained glass windows, uh, tore up the Bible, and it was it was amazing. And I I could not believe the story, but wow. you know, fiction fiction doesn't compare to the truth. So I thought to myself at the time. And this is back in the late 80s. I thought, you know, how could a man, a man of God, who, who alleges to be a man of God, ever think to do this? So I said, he must have had such a terrible childhood. And and from that one thought, my character was born. So that, wow. that's where Jacob <laughs> Abraham DeWitt came from. But I have to tell you, my story has absolutely nothing to do with that minister because I have no idea what his initial story, you know, his his life story is. But that's just the thing that inspired me and prompted the story in my head to develop. Wow. That, that's amazing. Yeah, um, because you, you often wonder when someone does something that's, you know, uncalled for and, you know, unexpected and, and, and so shocking, too, and seems like such a contrast and a contradiction to the role that he played. For it him does. to really show his true colors that way, and um, for you to be able to develop a story about someone who could have possibly, you know, had the kind of background that would sort of birth that kind of person is it's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, again, again, your mind is completely made up, but you know, as, mm-hmm. as a writer, we see stories everywhere. You know, there's mm-hmm. uh, I have a little sign in my office that says, uh, "Beware." Uh, all those who enter may be um, may be written into my story. So, I do the Now, um, so w- was this your first project? Is this the first thing that struck you and and said that this is what I need to write and this is why I need to become a writer? Well, um, I think I I always had the inkling to write. I've always wanted to to write poetry and stories, and you know I grew up doing that. You know, as as you'll find a lot of writers do, and if you look at their histories and their beginnings. So I did grow up writing, you know, poems, and a few of them I I still have. I still have some old notebooks, but um, and then I went on to write professionally as an army officer because I became an army public affairs officer. And, um, you know, that, that's just another word of saying I was the communications officer for an organization in the military. But, mm-hmm. So I, I, I can't say that uh, this book was, uh, this story was the thing that prompted me to become a writer. It's just that I believe I've always been a writer. And this is one of those stories I carried with me for so many years 
that I was finally able to uh, finish, get out, and, and publish. So I'm really proud of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm very proud of you as well. Um, because Thank reading you. a little bit of this, I mean, I can't wait to just devote a whole four hours to reading this because, and it, you know, I thought I'd do that when we had our big snow, but I spent <laughs> all of my time shoveling snow, but uh, <laughs> and lost more time than I thought I would gain. But um, yes. I had an opportunity to work on the prologue of this with you um, for the audiobook version, and it was very intriguing. Just yes. just reading that part of it, and it really took me for a ride because. Uh, your description of the characters in themselves uh, really, you know, helped me to identify with someone that I already knew. And uh, it, it was very well done. And I find that this story is <laughs> uh, some drama in it, and there's a lot of um, crazy things going on already, but I can sort of envision what's going to happen in this book even before you, you get too far into it because of the way you've laid out the plot. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, you, know, you I, just I recently you, Go ahead. Oh, go right ahead. No, I, I was just that as, as I was writing, I I truly wanted to capture the uh, universal aspect of uh, humanity because I know I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing about African-American people, but as a whole, you know, everyone suffers betrayal. You know, everybody has... Um, been in love with someone who didn't love them back. Everybody gets to a point in life where they do something and they either speak or or rebel from redemption. So I think that those universal themes are, transcend everybody, which is why I'm really proud that you know I, I was able to create such characters that I think do transcend to everyone. And you recently had a uh, book signing, Pamela. And um, so tell us about that. How did it go? Well, this was my my hometown in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. And um, I discovered recently, this past winter, that the hometown uh, just opened a bookstore. And it's called Equip Books. And they're at equipbooks.com. And it's just a delightful, beautiful bookstore in the middle of my um, my downtown. I don't know if you know any history about Alipipa and the steel mills and how uh, um, the steel mills closed in the 80s, mm-hmm. the late 80s, and just a lot of people lost their jobs and uh, there was a lot of unemployment and the town just, just went down a bit. It was a very depressed area. So it's wonderful right. to see uh, businesses starting to come back and revitalize the downtown area, and especially this bookstore. It's just a little jewel right on Franklin Avenue where I used to walk to school every day when I lived there. So, you know, if I, I did a U-turn after I saw the bookstore, ran in, and immediately introduced myself and said, hey, you know, I'm going to have a book coming out in December. I would love to come here and, and showcase my book. And the ownership, uh, Daniel uh, Rossi King, was just wonderful for, to me and allowed me to come in and do whatever I wanted to to promote the book. And so I, I set it up. My my family was there to help me. And it was just a wonderful, warm, embracing time. You know, the community really supported me. I'm just so pleased with how everything turned out. Great, great. So tell us, so how has the book been received so far? What do people think if they have the opportunity to read it from cover to cover? Oh, that's, it's, it's overwhelming, again. Because with every writer, we, we all have our moments of uh, insecurity, and especially at the time, right before the book comes out. You know, you work on it, and, you know, you personally think it's a good product, and your family thinks it's a good product, but you just don't know until you put it out there and explain it to the world and you just sit back, hold your breath, and, and wait. And I am so thrilled that people enjoy it, that they really, really like it. Um, I've gotten some great reviews on Amazon, so it's fun to read those. And it's just that the, the, the biggest thing is, I think the, the thread that goes throughout is everybody wants to know when the, the sequel is coming out. 
you know, so that's a testament <laughs> that, they, that they enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, um, it's, I can already tell it's a roller coaster ride. And, and it's so relatable in the fact that you can really see all of these things happening. And, and that's the great thing about the story, too. It's not so extravagant that you couldn't imagine that actually happening. But it, it is a very intense um, relationship between uh, him and his father and um, that starts yeah. off everything. Uh, and you get a prelude of that. And then from there, um, going to Jacob as a 12-year-old, um, it, it's just a great story. It's a great story to see, too, how when, you know, the yearning a young man has for um, a father figure or for family and how these things, these good emotions can drive us in the wrong directions if, we don't have someone in our life that can guide us in the, the right path. Yes, excellent. Very well put. Thank you. That was beautiful. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, I, I'm way into this. And, you know, I, <laughs> I want to do another interview with you, too, after I've read it completely. And I want to give you my honest opinion of it on the air because I, I know I'm going to be really, really geeked about the whole thing. But, okay. um, yeah, you know, I I know people. Well, maybe I should stop right there. <laughs> but you know, it's funny when um, I'll put it this way: when the word is in you, no matter who you become, it, it somehow shows its face, and it will come out of you in some way, form, yeah. or fashion. And it's almost as if you you can't control it, and. Um, you know, mm-hmm. wow, exactly. I'm going to start right there. <laughs> I'm going a little bit further. I know exactly where I want to go, but I'm just going to let that go and just continue to talk about okay. the book and not me. Yes, yeah, so we, we don't want to have any spoilers, <laughs> not too many spoilers out there. <laughs> uh, no, no, but it's funny because, um, you know, church life is very complicated, and a lot of people don't understand um that dynamic. They don't understand the church community. And um, this this gives you a bird's eye view, even though the story might not be exactly the same. When we hear things in the news about what goes on with some pastors, some churches, some members, someone who has a position in the church, you know, this sort of gives you a bird's eye view of how these complicated um, situations can actually play out and come together. Exactly. Yeah, this is it's um, a challenge to be in the world but not of the world, and uh, we we all struggle right. with with walking that that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the character does definitely strives to uh, do what's right, but as you did mention, circumstances come along that uh, take him off the path, but he, he stays close, but he's, he's not walking the path for the, the bulk of the book, no. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit, because you are, you're really a successful writer at this point, because you've gotten through this process and you've put it out there. The rest is up to your, your audience and people who will buy the book. But the work in itself is already a success, in my opinion. And, and I'd like you to help people to understand um, the kind of support you need to be able to get through this process, to, to get it complete. And tell us the, the journey of you actually writing this book and getting it published. Hmm. Well, I am, I am not, well, I was not the poster child for the right way to do it <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> I, you know, don't, don't follow, follow my lead, but you know, as I was, but as, as I have, uh, now that I am published and I am wanting to produce more and more projects, I think I've finally gotten it together and I have reached a point where I can recommend a path for uh, budding writers out there or people who are writing who want to uh, publish and uh, and go along that route 
to become a, a published successful author. So I think the, the very first thing um, I, did, I did not do was I did not write every day, which is why it took me so long for the story to feed with me and finally finish it and come, have it come to fruition. Now, that's, that's the bad side of it. But the good side of it is that because I've carried the story with me for so many years, I truly intimately know all of the characters because I thought about them and, and dreamed about them and mm-hmm. analyzed them. So I, I know mm-hmm. what their favorite colors are, what, what foods they like. So so that's the good part of me taking such a long time to do it. But um, I, I just recommend for anyone out there just to definitely write every day. You know, don't don't be afraid of uh, putting the words on the screen or if you prefer picking up that pen and putting words on paper. Just do something every day and you know, just, just trust your inner voice and write. So that's that's the first thing uh, people, budding writers should do. Never, yeah. never give up that uh, momentum. Don't let that momentum die. So uh, once, once you do have a project and you get it going, um, I would say also never to, to continue to grow and learn. Continue to take your craft seriously. Because not everyone has a degree in English and communications, and not everyone is, is born, you know, carrying a pen. But, you know, we even if you have the inkling to write and, and the Lord has blessed you with that gift, it's still helpful to learn the craft, learn what the rules are before you, want, before you try to break them. So continue to learn and read and take classes and join a writer's group. And I, I found that that was the absolute hands-down best thing to help me complete my novel from having it yeah. go from a name to actually a, a solid goal and a product. So explain to us what really is a writer's group and how can it help you to be effective in writing? Give, give us some of the nuts and bolts of that. How does it really work? Okay, well, the writers group is a a gathering of uh, fellow writers who come together to critique a submission from one person in the group. So, just for instance, uh, I have I did start a writers group here in my immediate area because I live in the Upper Marlboro area of Maryland and right outside of Washington D.C. And I didn't, I saw some writers groups. I went on to a platform called meetup.com, www.meetup.com, and I, I did a search for writers groups because I did want to be a part of such a community. But the only ones I saw were way in um, Alexandria, Virginia, Arlington, Washington, D.C. I didn't see any at the time here in my area. So I started one. And there was just, um, there were three people for the longest. And now I'm upwards of 177 members in my writing Wow. Group. Yeah, really? really positive. So that's been since 2011. And uh, just just to caveat that not all of those, the, that mass of people don't participate. We have about 20 some odd people who actively participate uh, every time we meet. And we meet every two or three weeks, depending on schedules and availability of the entire group. So, so we have um, about 20-somewhat people, and we take turns. At least three people volunteer to submit a work, a, a, a project they're working on, about 3,000 to 5,000 words. So that works out to be about 10 typed pages double space. So we email the submission to the group a week ahead of time. Everybody has a chance to read it and make comments. And so when we gather together again, you get uh, input from, you know, at least 12 people, 12 people that could potentially be your audience. And so because my group is so diverse, I have uh, black women, black men, white women, white men, um, Indian men, so we we have the full gamut of diversity in the group, which is wonderful, and that's that's ideal 
So I'm really proud that I have an ideal group where you do get the opportunity to have your work be critiqued and reviewed by different audiences, and they all give you their own different viewpoints about what you've written. So it's it's just free help. It's free discussion. It's wonderful. So we meet uh, for two hours approximately every two to three weeks. And the name of my group, for anybody who is, who's in the uh, Bowie-Mitchellville area, it's the uh, Mitchellville Bowie Writers Group. And you can just search that on meetup.com. Great, great. Now, let me ask you a question because I'm sure some people out there are thinking, yeah, you know, because a lot of people who write, it's just very difficult for them to not only share it with someone, but share it with someone who they feel that might critique their work. And is there a difference between that reader and the writer's group as opposed to the general reader out there, the general audience? Um, well, there is. Uh, just just in the small differences because we're all readers and we all know what we like and we all have a reaction upon reading something. So, mm. you know, that's, that's the common ground. But I think the difference is with a writer's group we are uh, practitioners of the word. So we, we study writing, we, we study pacing and setting and character development. So we're probably, as a whole, more keen to be able to uh, give suggestions to the writer on how they can make their products better. Wow. That's, that's, that's the essence. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know... And it's better than getting that guidance from an editor. <laughs> <laughs> it is because an editor will cost you some money, and uh, they're, uh, they can be very expensive because the process of publishing can be expensive. You know, it just it just hands down. It it can be if you go the the um, traditional route. Um, but uh, as a self publisher, uh, you can spend as little as. Um, a few hundred dollars or upwards of a thousand, thousands of dollars, depending on what you'd like to do. But um, you should definitely get your book edited. And I recommend that to anybody who's planning to publish anything. It's very difficult to self-edit yourself. Um, mm-hmm. we, we were too close to our material. So you need to hire. And this is where the writer's group will not help you because we're, we're not paid editors. We are there to offer suggestions to each other on how to improve a product. But for an editor, an editor, and there are different types of editors too, uh, you you can get a a developmental editor, someone who will read your entire uh, product and make recommendations on on how to um, organize it in a different way, something that may appeal, be more appealing. Um, That's a developmental organization editor. Uh, There are um, copy editors, someone who will go through and take a look at your punctuation, um, spelling, um, and there are two more types of editors, and of course I'm drawing a blank, but the the key is (laughs) that there are are different types of editors, but overall you should get a professional to take a look at your work before you if you are planning to go the self-publishing route. Here's another question. And um, you probably had nailed this down already because the story has been with you for so long. But when do you know that the story is over, that it's ending, that it's complete? Hmm. That's, um, that's, that's something that's very intimate for every writer, and it, it depends on their their story. And I know that's that's cheating. That's an easy way out to say. <laughs> but I think I think you you know you know the story is finished when all of your outlying um, conflicts have been resolved. Mm. So uh, so there there I know with my book. There are some questions, and I purposely left questions and and didn't didn't resolve every single conflict in the book 
Right. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just letting everyone know that. that uh, and, and I did that by design because mm-hmm. even though it could very well be a standalone book, I, in my mind, always imagined this as the first in a series. So I, I have the second book in mind where all of those questions that people have will, will be fulfilled in book two. And the third book is um, almost a little, it's, a, it's the same, a, a few of the same characters, but a little, a little different um, direction. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, you know what, Pamela, I think that um, we ought to really give everyone a taste of um, the, the audio book and come back and we can finish out that way. What do you think? Oh, I would love it. That would be wonderful. Thank you. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about um, the beginning of the book and how, how you set this up, and then we'll go right into it. All right. Well, the, the beginning, this uh, first chapter is the, the prologue, actually. So the prologue essentially is the end of the book. So this, this from what we're about to hear, is where the character, where the character finally ends up. So after this chapter, you go in and you get his entire story. So we are about to see um, J.D. Abraham, and that's the name he assumes throughout his his maturing. So his name is Jacob, Jacob Abraham DeWitt. But um, as he grows and matures and assumes another identity, he becomes J.D. Abraham, the soon-to-be mega-minister. So this is one of his early sermons, and you meet him as he has just um, bought himself a church with his drug money, and he's beginning to preach, and he's growing quite a following. And see, already with what you just said, someone just said, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So we'll we'll get right into it now, and... um, uh, that that's the best way to describe it. We'll just get right into it. We'll be right back after this. Born of Sin, a novel by Pamela Hart Vines. Prologue, Baptist Church, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, September 1984. Each week, more and more people flock to a spotless church paid for with dirty money. They came to hear J.D. Abraham preach. Word of mouth about the young man piqued their interest, but it was his hypnotic message that kept them coming back. The young pastors studied his congregation's faces. The first-timers usually wore flat expressions cut with heavy skepticism. Within minutes, though, their faces shone from pure devotion. Whether their devoutness was to him or the Lord, he didn't know. A recent op-ed in the New Pittsburgh Courier, the city's black newspaper, described his style as poetic and mesmerizing. The editor wrote, J.D. Abraham is a credit to the religious community, a young minister with an old soul. His message moved his congregation beyond tears to a place that transforms and inspires. He truly changes lives. From where he stood on the pulpit, it looked like close to 500 people had squeezed inside the century-old building. The church was stretched well beyond its 350-person capacity. The sweaty side walls seemed to expand like cheek pouches on a squirrel. The walls heaved, trying to make room for all the people who were determined to get in. No one complained about being cramped or uncomfortable, though. The Pittsburghers and people from numerous outlying suburbs traveled to sit shoulder to shoulder on the faded oak pews. The church needed every kind of repair and smelled like worn prayer books and Murphy oil soap. Despite all the efforts to clean it, the faint scent of dilapidation still taunted him. But that would soon change. Now that the building was officially his, he planned to renovate. In less than a year, he would transform its chip brick and dull wood into a show palace of marble, silver, and gold. He could make good on his promise, too, because he has 
the money. He'd made plenty over the last four years from selling drugs, running numbers, and peddling prostitutes. A dozen roads could have placed him on the path toward fame and riches, including the dark one he'd been traveling. The good thing was, as underhanded as the streets had been, that route had given him a powerful testimony. Evil and its many intentions had worked in his favor. As the congregation shouted amen, it occurred to him how well this legitimate hustle suited him. He missed his old boss, but it was a relief not to be concerned with running his crime enterprise. Those days were in the past. He would soon be an ordained minister, anointed and sanctified by the blood. Using the same elements of survival he had learned in the streets, he was determined to work the hell out of this gig. He barely slept, too excited as the benefits continued to outrun the pace of his expectations. He couldn't believe all the perks he received merely from talking about the Bible. He was gaining status, he had a nice office, and was making decent money as a pastor. He hadn't expected the business of religion to be so profitable. It wasn't the size of money as before, but profits were on the rise and the police weren't after him. Another thing he didn't expect was the new class of ladies he attracted. The intelligent and classy ones he admired from afar literally lined up to talk to him. He shuddered and groaned out loud thinking about his date that evening. He was invited to Nona's place for dinner. Or was her name Nina? He suppressed a smile and thought, arose by any other name. He reached beneath his robe and pulled out a monogram linen handkerchief. Wiping his brow with it, he cleared his throat dramatically. Concluding his message on purity of body, mind, and spirit, the young pastor raised his right hand toward the dome ceiling and closed the massive relic of a Bible with his left. He recited the benediction, always ending his message with, And remember me, O oh my God, for good. Amen. Amid the concluding organ music and hoops and hollers, he descended the steps from the dais onto the main level. It was time for his favorite part, greeting his congregation. He could barely get his footing because men, women, and children from 8 to 80 surrounded him in seconds. They all wanted to shake his hand, hug him, take a picture with him, or just touch the hem of his garment. He didn't think he was Jesus. He knew exactly who he was, despite hiding those facts from most everyone in his life. When he looked into a mirror, it took considerable effort to erase the image of his true self. Jacob Abraham DeWitt from Edgeboro, North Carolina, conceived in sin and abandoned by one father and disowned by the other. He left that pain behind to become J.D. Abraham from Lawsonburg, Pennsylvania, the mastermind behind Pittsburgh's underground crime operation. It still took a couple of beats for him to conjure up his newest transformation and see the prodigy preacher as his reflection. The phenomenal Pastor J.D. Abraham that everyone seemed to want to know more about, who against insurmountable odds was not dead or behind bars, but was an educated, successful young man. Pastor Abraham, I want to shake your hand. My sister told me about you, so I had to come hear you preach for myself, said a woman. Man, you got me coming back to church after all these years. Now I don't want to miss a Sunday, said a man. Pastor Abraham, I got to tell you, I ain't never heard no preaching like that before, said another. His accolades continued. More people kept coming to greet him. He shook every man's hand, hugged every mother, patted every child's shoulder, complimented every grandmother on her spectacular hat. He greeted everyone by name, said all the right things. It was a part of his gift. He did this for nearly 45 minutes as he greeted every person in the line for as long as they wanted to talk. 
After he greeted the last person, the church was nearly empty except for one lone man who had remained seated with his head down in the last pew. The young pastor called out to the man, Excuse me, sir, can I lend you a hand back there? The man raised his head with a slight nod gesture. He looked older, in his fifties or sixties. His dingy, outdated suit had likely been black some years ago. It hung loose on him and appeared to weigh him down as he kept his head hung. It seemed to pain him to stand, but he rose from his seat and inched his way into the aisle. He watched the floor as he moved. As he entered the aisle, he removed his cap to reveal thin wisp of gray hair that clung to his scalp in a non-committal way. He ambled forward, studying the loafers of his sleuth-footed feet. In those moments, the pastor recognized the familiarity of that gait. He remembered the defiant tilt of the man's chin as he raised his head to look up into his eyes. He knew the old man. He knew him like a person knows the bile at the back of his own throat right before he vomits something putrid. He watched his stepfather walk towards him. John Charles DeWitt in the flesh. Lord have mercy. Jacob looked down at the graying man, his childhood tormentor. He didn't seem as intimidating anymore. Papa said, Still doing that preacher imitation thing, I see. I'm not impressed. He sounded the same. His sarcastic, mean-spirited tone dripped out of the side of his smirking mouth. I thought I'd beat all that nonsense out of you, behind the barn that time. You remember that? Hello, Papa, Jacob said. It felt odd speaking to him since they hadn't exchanged words in over six years. Those years hadn't been kind to him. I see they opened up hell so you could roam the earth for a spell. Yeah, that's right. And I brought you a message. Satan said he got a special place for you, he said, eyes blazing as they darted back and forth between Jacob and his two bodyguards who suddenly flanked either side of him. Let's get out of here. We're not going to talk like this in the sanctuary, Jacob said, and turned regally in his pastoral robe, gesturing with his manicured hand for his stepfather to follow him. The old man's eyes steadied on him. Papa said, Sanctuary? <laughs> and coughed up phlegm and looked around him like he wanted to spit. He must have thought better of it and swallowed instead. Right, if you're the preacher... This can't be nothing more than a goddamn hellhole. So no, I ain't taking another step. We're going to talk right here in this spot. Whatever you have to say, let's be men. Let's leave here and have this conversation in private, Jacob said. Listen here, boy. I'm already a man. I've traveled all the way from North Carolina to show you I'm man enough to look you dead in your eye and tell you, I'm going to expose you. He hissed the word exposed like he was a serpent who defiled the Garden of Eden. That's right. I lost sight of you for a while, but then you popped up again like the dirty penny you are. I've been waiting years for you to show up again. Years. I said somebody's got to stop this little preacher farce you got going on. I'm going to call up every reporter I can find and tell them who you really are. I'm going to tell them what you did and that you just a black bastard son of a bitch trying to be something he ain't, the man said. My life belongs to the Lord in my congregation. There's nothing they don't know about me. Now, how about we get you some brunch? I'm sure you must be hungry with all that traveling you've done. Jacob immediately thought of three hitmen from his old organization who would happily drop his stepfather within the next 30 minutes without any remaining trace. Jacob looked down into the man's furious, gray, watery eyes. He had no idea who he was threatening. I don't want none of your damn brunch, John Charles said, 
The only thing I ever wanted was to get rid of you. And yet you traveled all this way to find me. Is that right? Jacob laughed softly. Come with me to my office. If you're not hungry, maybe I can offer you a drink. He shook his head agitated. His neck and face had flush red. Look at you and all your fancy talk. You make me sick. Who do you think made you? Me. He stretched out his arms and performed a pitiful pirouette. I'm the one that gave you the best prep school in the country. My family did without because of you. I lost everything because of you. So yeah, I'm here to make sure you get got. You've been getting off too easy, boy. I'm going to tell everything I know. I'm going to see you in the gutter where your black ass belongs if it's the last thing I do. Wow. <laughs> what? I never, that is so I never get intense. tired of hearing about it. <laughs> oh, no, no. And, and you know something? Um, it, it, it's a very, very powerful um, introduction into the book. But um, I, I love this transition. I mean, you really got into that character by how smoothly you changed his mood and tone as he notices that that's his father. He goes from pastor, and this transition transpires in their own relationship. Their old relationship blooms, and you, you see what was there before. Yes, yes. And the conflict and- between two of them. And and, and when I first read that, I, I I just thought it was brilliant. I'm sorry, I'm still gushing over this part. But <laughs> I thought that that transition was just amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you. And, thank you so much. And, and that's when I said, wow, this is some really good writing here. That's when it really, really hit me right there. I said, that was well done. <laughs> thank you. So he, he's also trying to squelch his uh his street tendencies too. Exactly. Yeah. And and you can almost see that there's maybe two or three people left that could possibly be there or his posture thinking that maybe somebody else might hear this. You know, and he has to yeah. deal with this thing the right way at this point. But um in his anger, thinking back to, you know, the way he would have handled things in the past. Even even with his stepfather. Wow. That's rough. Yeah. That sums it up right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. He's a, he's a lot. Thank you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to hold off because um, I, I want to read this now, and I, I know I'll read it now before the weekend. And... Um, we can talk about um, the rest of the book at another time. Well, great. But, I would love uh, to come back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so you've done a book signing there. Do you plan on doing any events here in the uh, yes, um, DC yes, metropolitan actually, area? Oh. I am so proud to say that um, I've uh, been selected as one of the feature authors at uh, the Asala book signing event on February 20th. And I don't, if um, people aren't familiar with the SALA, it's the organization that uh, was, they were the initiators of Black History Month. And it stands oh. for the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. So uh, wow. their 90th, 90th annual Black History Month luncheon is coming up on February 20th. And the book signing event is from 10 until noon. And then the luncheon begins at noon. Oh, man, that's awesome. So, Pamela, as soon as you have that information and whatever the promotional material is, let us know, and we'll be happy to post that. Um, We can add it also to the show as well and the um, slideshow that we're setting up to promote the show. And um, that's just really good stuff. Very excited about this. So we know that there is an audio book version coming out. Is is 
there a movie in the works as well? (laughs) (laughs) I I would love to see this as a movie. You know, I've always had, you know, screen aspirations, even when I, you know, first wrote down the first word. I see it as a movie. I even have the actors and actresses that I like to recommend for the parts, too. Nice. Okay. Well, movies are expensive, but if not, maybe even a um, maybe even a stage play. That's true. That's, it, yeah. That's true. Yes. Yeah. I have a. There are two uh, screenwriters, um, well, playwrights in my writers group too. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and yeah, things are written a little differently, but I mm-hmm. love the way you you. Um, you know, you describe the environment and you describe the mood and the tone and everything um, so well in the book. It really helps you to be able to see exactly what's going on. I'm, I can even see the position of everyone and just how far away he is from his father when he's speaking. It's just like, I, you know, I just see it all. It's just amazing. Thank you. I, it just it just warms my heart. Thank you so much. I, I you know I'm just excited to hear you say this. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I just want you to know I'm seriously geeked about this book. I'm very very um, excited about it, and um, I, I I love it when someone writes something and it you don't think about the story as much as you just fall into the story, and you know. You just sort of start mm-hmm. reading and you just lose yourself all of a sudden, and then you're in it. And yeah, um, yeah one of my favorite, favorite, favorite authors is um, Stephen King, and he oh, does yeah. that to you. He starts Nothing. describing everything until you forget you have a book in your hand, and um, mm-hmm. next thing you know, you know something surprises you or shocks you, and then you realize that. Yeah, I got to put this down for a minute. That was kind of <laughs> freaky, but <laughs> but um, yeah, he he does a very good job, and everything is uh, researched very well. So mm-hmm. I I think the way that you went about this, you, you you know, you did yourself justice in taking your time and um, doing everything you could to to get a good product out there. And I think this is a really really good effort. Thank you. And and I just wanted to say, if people are looking for the book, and if this is, uh, if I can jump in right here, um, they can look at uh, my website, and it's my name, PamelaHartVines.com. And uh, from there, uh, they can listen to the audio clip, again, that um, you recorded for me, uh, and also a link to Amazon. So either people can uh, see a lot of um, things going on in the book. I have a book trailer on the website so they can uh, look at it from there or uh, link to Amazon and mm-hmm. download the ebook. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I did. I downloaded the ebook. So that's great. So you don't have to wait. But Amazon is so fast do anyway. It, do it, it tonight. Matter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Everyone do it tonight, and um, yeah, it will do a show. I, and and have some folks... Yeah, I'm sorry. I keep talking over you. I'm talking Oh, no, much. no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Well, and I, would, I was I just saying to... maybe we could do a show where people will call in and tell us what, we, what you know, and you can come on again. Yeah. And you can hear what people think because I know I that it. they're going to be just as amped about it as I am. So. Okay. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I can participate in book clubs, too, around the area. If, if yeah. anyone wants to Skype me in, I'm available. Okay, great, great. Well, we'll, we'll definitely explore some options on this. And um, is there anything else that you wanted to include or, you know, give anyone credit that helped you along the way? And um, uh, Other than you su- supporting my... Um, Reporting my book trailer. <laughs> I really appreciate your help, Michael. And um, I think I, I dedicated the book to my mother and grandmother, um, mm-hmm. but definitely want to give credit to my husband, who was who was a wonderful sounding board for the male perspective. Because there mm. there were a few sentences in the book along the way where he'd say, "Oh no, you know, a man would not say it that way." So. That helped me a lot because I I am a woman writing from a male perspective in, in, in a number of places. 
So, you know, my All husband right. was wonderful. And just my writer's group who got to review and help me re- talk through a good number of the chapters, at least one-third of the chapters were help, were improved by their help. So. Well, I want to say thanks to your husband as well for suggesting that I do the reading for the audiobook. <laughs> yes. Yeah, who knows? I may not have found out about this until much later if it were not for that. Yes, he he, he does have brilliant moments. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's awesome. Well, Pamela, of course, we wish you the best, and um, just let us know what we can do to continue to support you and your efforts, and um, we expect, you know, really big things based on, um, you know, what I've read so far, and I'm just really, honestly, truly excited. I've enjoyed what I've read so far. I know I'm going to love the story, and uh, can't wait to tell you all about it once I do. Oh, thank you. I look forward to it. Can't wait to discuss it with you. All right. Well, have a great one, and we will talk with you soon. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm here and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care 
of what becomes of you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.